evening, Mr. Goodman. Any messages? 10.31. No messages. Mr. Goodman, may I please have a word with you? I'm sorry to trouble you, sir, but we seem to be having a problem with your credit card. Really? What kind of problem? This is Lieutenant Palmer from the San Francisco Police Department. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you leased a black Cadillac Coupe de Ville with the license plate number 2PET764 to a man named Drake Goodman. Yes, we did. You did? Why? Well, there are some things that I think you might be interested in knowing. Well, listen, why don't I just write you a check to take care of things till we get this straightened out? I don't. That wouldn't be acceptable. I'm sorry, we called your bank. As a backup, you know. Yeah. They said your account has been frozen. Yes, I'd like to report some stolen traveler's checks. Lots of stolen? No, no, my husband is certain that they've been stolen. Mm-hmm. All 30 of them. Well, I assumed you got the necessary approval when I checked in. Well, yes, but when a customer charges over $100 to their room, we generally run a card again for approval, and that's when we discovered the problem. Right, except I didn't charge anything to my room. It's probably a clerical error on their part, but we just have to look out for ourselves. You understand? I didn't charge anything to my room. Well, maybe it was your wife. My wife? Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we began our new trilogy for the month of March with the 1990 real estate thriller, Pacific Heights. Those are a dime a dozen, Webb. (laughs) So popular, that subgenre. And on that note, I gotta ask you, who is the audience for this film, Mike? Hmm. It was me when I was... Gosh, eight years old, and my <laughs> parents rented this on VHS, <laughs> and I was asking, why is Batman acting that way? <laughs> I did not get the uh, the cunning ruse of the Michael Keaton character. I didn't get the idea of squatting as a as a thriller at the at the time, but um, I just knew he was he was a bad guy, and so. I don't know. Is it was it Keaton making a decided push of like, hey, I'm not the comedy guy. I'm not Beetlejuice anymore. So he had he had Batman than this. That's that's uh, the intended audience was Michael Keaton redirecting his career path, maybe. But it's funny he didn't really follow through on that. He did did another Batman that was like, fuck it, I'll do mul- multiplicity, then I'm out. <laughs> I'll come back uh, for Birdman two decades later. He tried to get into the dramatic realm, I think, with Purple Rose of Cairo, which we discussed. But uh, shortly into filming, wasn't Woody Allen was like, boy, you're not right for this role. And I think Keaton even was like, yeah, I'm not. It's not working. And yeah. That was a shame. And I think that also held him back a little bit. He was trying to get out of comedy, it seemed like, for a little while. Uh, Batman and Pacific Heights are like a year apart, so I would imagine he's filming the two of them very close together. So, But before we get into Michael Keaton, let's talk about our heroes. 
Matthew Modine, who has the charisma of a wet blanket, and he's asked to go from zero to, like, toxic masculinity to bed rest in a matter of, you know, a few scenes. As is the natural arc of the white male. <laughs> the wounded right. white male. Thankfully, Melanie Griffith comes in to save the day when she does, uh, in more ways than one, to be honest with you, because I think the first two acts of this film are tough sledding, and that final one where uh, uh, she plays the the detective and starts to uh, really unravel the mystery uh, in her awesome high-waist 90s mom jeans. It's, it's great. But it took me a little while to really get into this film, and I, I want to say it's because of Matthew Modane. He's never really felt like a starring man to me. Always somebody who, like, I'm I'm happy to see him in a film, but boy, I don't think top billing works for uh, for me when he is involved. What about you? The best thing he ever did in my book would be the uh, HBO, I guess, television movie. And I don't think it was a miniseries, on. and the band played on. Um, it was just it was just long, right? I don't maybe it aired as two parts. I don't really remember. I've only watched it as one singular thing, like on DVD or uh, on streaming. He was great there. Um, but he definitely has, he has a, a type. Uh, there's a lot of sort of uh, white actors of a certain age that always play like uh, sort of like cold businessmen types. Uh, and sometimes they end up strangely in like an Adam Sandler joint playing like a comedic version of like the evil business tycoon. Um <laughs> He seems like he was always destined for that. The problem was he was just too young. Now, he was getting, I guess, the push here because he had been in Full Metal Jacket. Probably was like, like if he had w- worked with Kubrick, then he was going to, you know, he was going to get an attempt to be leading man. Um, I think he's fine in an ensemble, like in the band played on. And he's actually really good there when he has, he has the, uh, uh, a scene uh, where he, he asks, I don't remember who he's asking the CDC. I don't remember who of all the bureaucratic cronies. He uh, demands to know a number, like how many deaths do you need with this AIDS crisis? And then he'll stop bothering them until they reach that number. So it's really morbid, but also like, you know, it's one of those like take on the man kind of pump up your fist moments. So uh, I was trying to look at like, okay, what other credits do you have? And um, shortcuts is something I watched within the last year as well, which I, I love. I love shortcuts. I love, I love Magnolia. I love those like, for whatever reason, like ensemble here are the freaks of California kind of stories that we <laughs> drop in on and then drop out. And uh, he is in the Julianne Moore uh, segment. And he has yet another freak out, freak out moment. Uh, where um, she is, what, is she like ironing some new pants or something? I think she spills wine and she has no underwear on. And she, she's they're having this argument among you know a married couple while she has nothing on on the bottoms. That was the sort of infamous scene then. Um, and his character, even though he's married to her, is like freaking out, yelling like, you're wearing no pants. Why do you have no underwear on? <laughs> and so there was something in the casting in the early 90s where like, that's a guy that can freak out well. Uh, who is the guy from Seven and like Alien Resurrection and Very Bad Things? A little sh- short guy, wears glasses. Like he's the one that unfortunately has sex with the prostitute in Seven with uh, a blade attached to him. He, oh, he does gosh, shaking yes. very well. He, very bad things. He's shaking when him and his buddies kill a prostitute and alien. I believe he has an, an alien embryo inside of him. So he shakes and freaks out. <laughs> there are types there where like someone in Hollywood that, you know, that goes to show we've said before on podcasts, or at least I have 
there's a lot of craftsmanship here that I could never, I could never reach the talents or the sensibilities, the work. And then there's some where it's like, I could watch a movie and be like, huh, we need someone to freak out. Get that guy. He's done it before. <laughs> <laughs> that typecasting. I'd be all about it. Here, though, so I watched this one with my wife, and she asked me what's that about, and I'm like, uh, it's a thriller. I was like, I don't remember if it's an erotic thriller from the 90s, which it dabbles its toe like it's going to go that direction, but not really. Like, you could see that there's a sensibility where it's like, is Michael Keaton like a peeping Tom? Like, what what is he, what is he doing? But no, he's just like... He's a, dare I say it, a hardworking con man. It's like, <laughs> he's, spoiler alert for Pacific Heights, but it's revealed that he comes from a wealthy family, but yet he still fucks with people and steals like the copper out of their, like he's like a meth head, except he's rich and goes from town to town and just does these like juvenile small town pranks and crimes and then moves on next. But it, it's not necessarily motivated by money. It doesn't seem like, I don't, it's just, it's some sort of vendetta against humanity. The film is labeled as a psychological thriller, and I'm not sure why. I mean, you've got some scenes where he's twirling the, the little blade in his hand and messing with the cockroaches, and those, they, they seem so out of place. It's never really explained. Not that I need it to be explained, but yeah, it's just thrown in there. I thought it was going to be about a guy, uh, he mentioned something about his family having a house in that area before, but they lost it, so... I thought it was going to be this sort of eat the rich type thing, like this low level, smooth talking con man. And you know, the, the crux of this is, is that he sees this couple that has bought this really nice piece of property in the Bay area. And, you know, he assumes they come for money. Unfortunately for them, they need, they need all of that rent money. Like they've got everything invested in this property. So he's just picked the wrong target. I thought that's what it was going to be, but it doesn't seem that he does that much research. It doesn't seem like he cares that much. He just likes to fuck with people. Um, I, I thought that, uh, this would be more, well, Melanie Griffith, if it had been far more erotic, that would have helped. Uh, my wife hated this. She thought this was one of the worst things we've ever watched for a podcast. <laughs> so we go from Jersey girl one month where she's like, the internet hated this. They're stupid. And, you know, if she had the time or inclination, she would start a letterbox account just to rate this every day on how awful it is. Like she would be the troll for the Pacific Heights fans, whomever they are, presumably listening to this podcast. I, uh, I had to apologize for that. You know, we talked about Matthew Modon's like freak out. She, despise his character way more than Michael Keaton. Not that she absolved Michael Keaton, because he really doesn't have any motivation that you can sort of key into. The stupidity with which he basically tells his wife, woman, I got this. I handle the money because I'm the man. I have the dick around here, so I'll handle the money matters. Why don't you sweep up the cockroaches or whatever? Why don't you get to cleaning? He does none of the things he's supposed to do. He gets really no information from this guy. I guess it's just Michael Keaton's charm and the fact that he's wearing a suit like wearing a jacket, a tie. And he's like, he just says, I have money. Would you like some? (laughs) 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 I'll get it to you later on the cuff. The fact that uh, Keaton locks them out. And as you're saying, we do have a guy who it's not Dwayne Johnson. Who's like, get the fuck out of my house. It's not Bruce Willis. I guess would be more time specific. That's going to beat his ass. So all that, uh, Maddie, (laughs) <laughs> Maddie M can do here is just kind of bitch and moan and like knock on the door and say, please, why'd you change the locks? Please let us in that sort of thing. It took far too long. As you said, for Melanie Griffith, who's the one that takes action in this movie, I think it's you know, way past the sell by date for her that she gave a shit what happened. She just, it just, 
the basic premise got on her nerves so bad. Um, is that true? Is there, is it, is this, did they take squatters rights to the extreme here? I just don't think that if someone moves in, doesn't pay their rent, but then you like yelled at them, they can call the cops on you and be like, this guy's being an asshole to me. <laughs> He's not letting me stay here free. He doesn't understand that. I told him the checks on the way. I just, I don't think it works that way. Do you? I feel like there has to be some record that you've paid rent for, not that you just walk into the place and, and claim it. I don't know. I agree. And there is a suspension of disbelief here. It might be a big one. And that's the thing, because I'm not as knowledgeable about these real estate issues. I honest, Boy, I have never gotten into an issue where I was like, I don't have any money and I'm just going to wing it. And try and continue <laughs> to reside in a location that I have no right to. So I've never been in that position. And maybe you just need to have that moxie in order to do it. I really had to just decide to go with the film. Otherwise, the entire premise falls apart. Doesn't sound like uh, you went too far with it, though. <laughs> Other than the mom <laughs> jeans, which really, <laughs> really struck you. There's the titillation Mike was hoping for when he programmed this. <laughs> yeah, you know, Matthew Modine had to be... Physically unable to move for Melanie Griffith to step in, which I wish there was that moment where she owns it and she's like, you know what, I'm taking over. And it never really happens. Uh, so I do feel bad in that regard. But she's a trooper for trudging her way through this brutal script. And, and but, but she gets there. Let me ask you something about the yeah. script. So one of the hiccups for this uh, young couple that have invested so heavily uh, in this, this expansive house is that uh, there's a black man early on that yeah. wants the room that Michael Keaton's character, uh, Carter Hayes, which just <laughs> sounds like the villain in the late eighties, early nineties <laughs> movie that, or he's some sort of skateboarding punk that gets the girl. I don't know. It's, it depends on the age, but this this black gentleman wants it, and it's sort of laid out there, like that he he suspects this white couple that they're asking him for far more uh, in the way of proof uh, that he's financially viable because he's he's black. I felt like you can see a tinge of maybe in the original script that there were some racist elements to this couple, and this is their comeuppance. Instead, the way the film plays it is they're like, no, no, we're just doing our due diligence. You gotta get the paperwork, and then the paperwork through happenstance through like four scump through like a feather floating in the air. It just doesn't make it to them. It's just left on their doorstep. And then it's like someone steps on it and then it's, it allows room for Michael Keaton to get in. I think I would have preferred them like tackling the fact that they were maybe not as comfortable with this black man being in the building and that, and then they pay for it. But that seems like a studio note. It seems like there was a little hint of it there, but they were like, no, we can't make these people too unlikable because then people are going to root for Michael Keaton to blow up the house. Did you get that that feeling that there was a little bit more depth to uh, to those characters and then they cleaned them up a little bit to just make it a generic thriller? I think so, and I think they kind of throw Matthew Modine under the bus more so than Melanie Griffith because she kind of – she is absolved. I think from that, even towards the end where the potential black tenant ends up being the detective, he says that I filled out my form and I submitted. She's like, I never got it. Well, then who do you think got it and ripped it up? <laughs> the other person in the equation uh, sitting with bullet wounds in his <laughs> arm and, you know, wherever else he was shot. So, yes, I think that by the end of the movie in that last act, you need to be cheering 
for Melanie Griffith, which is, it's not a, a big ask from the audience. I think she's great. But you need to make sure that you go into that and the reveal of the detective, which honestly, it felt shoehorned in. He doesn't add anything to the film at all. He's just like, leave it alone. You got away with it. You're, you're alive, you know? And so I don't know why it's there other than to call attention to those racist uh, undertones. So very, very weird decision. The director here, the filmmaker behind uh, Marathon Man, Midnight Cowboy, like, and I looked, I was like, oh, so he was a heavy hitter. But then I realized when I looked at his filmography, I'm like, I don't know a lot of these movies. In between that, the late 60s and the mid 70s, I'm like, so what was he doing in the 80s? I'm like, that's that's the road to Pacific Heights. That's how, <laughs> that's how we got here. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, uh, on that note, like the, there is a lack of urgency throughout the film. The direction really does fall flat. Hans Zimmer does the score, and it adds no tension at any point throughout the film. Uh, the pacing, the pacing of the film, like the plot, if you can call it that, it, it, even as it's revealed and you're trying to give some backstory on your villain, boy, real lack of momentum there and so it's really all up to melanie griffith and her kind of machinations towards the end as she's setting the trap for michael keaton's character uh it's really all up to her and and i i hate i boy i'm really like piling on the praise but she really is kind of the one bright spot of this film oh excuse me not the one i will also give a big shout out to laurie metcalf who she's one of the greatest actors of all time she she really is she gets as close as we get to in the band played on where she calls her clients our heroes here like you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I wish the film had more actors of uh, that caliber to fill in the rest of the world of this film. Like what if towards the end uh, Melanie Griffith and uh, the black detective what if they had to team up and that character was played by someone of no a danny glover or whatever i don't want to typecast danny glover as a officer but you know whomever he's too old to be renting at that point in his life <laughs> web <laughs> <laughs> then you'd have to write in a backstory is he is he newly divorced what is he going through that he's ended up hat in hand in front of melanie griffith and <laughs> filling out well, his we could have had another i'm getting too old for this shit moment we could have had that in this psychological real estate thriller, but that's okay. But yeah, there's there's a lot going against this film, and it all kind of culminates into that really kind of laughable death scene that Michael Keaton has, and how poorly it's directed. But I, I, they were, maybe he was going for that uh, uh, psycho vibe, the fall from the stairs, and boy, it just didn't come together. You know, I allow it, Webb. I allow it because at that point, like, I feel like some choices are being made here. Like, you know, <laughs> this is it's kind of been a slog. Have your <laughs> have your silly fun. Have your your allusion to Hitchcock there if you want, John. I mean, do go ahead, go for it. I think they need to probably start start those shenanigans a little bit earlier. Like I thought, I was like, yeah, this doesn't fill up the two hour runtime. Then I saw that's like, oh, it's an, only an hour forty. Jesus, like. <laughs> We talked in a previous episode, it's lazy movie podcasting. It'd be like, too long, cut 20 minutes. But here I am. I was adding 20 minutes in my mind. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, do you think you would have made it better if Melanie Griffith goes full on like Zack Snyder at the end where she's like, this is Pacific Heights, and she kicks him <laughs> into the... 
<laughs> yes. The short answer is, of course, Webb. <laughs> it's absolutely a better movie. A little bit more, I don't know, cat and mouse for me. Like they're they're just yeah. just sitting there waiting to be picked off. And I I would like to have seen Michael Keaton's con man, the great Carter Hayes, the great alias that he's got there. Have to work a little bit more than just lock the door. <laughs> Once he locks the door, I mean, does that work? Like you're a father, so like when when kids reach that sort of teenage age, is that going to be your total kryptonite? Like if she locks her bedroom door, you're like, well, I don't know what she's doing in there. She could blow up the house, and we're just totally at her mercy. Like, no, this is you can have some sense of authority, especially when someone has tenants. Uh, of like he's like subletting as what it appears to be. He has middlemen that are always answering his door. <laughs> Strange women coming in, and then they pull him in. And like, I don't. Yeah, I especially like in regards to the other people renting from them. They have this uh, Asian couple, and it's like they yet again an an, an area of the film that's not really explored is that no one really calls them out on the fact that uh, it's affecting those people's lives as well. It's like it's all about the the two the two white folks. They're like, we need our rent money. Like this is going to doom us. And it's like you also sort of like made a promise to these people who are getting up, going to work, trying to get some sleep, and they're just caught in the crossfire with this insane man that you want to rent <laughs> the, the apartment downstairs. And they don't really express much sympathy about their plight either. Not at all. And I can assure you that if it were. My house and my. I came home one day and my kid changed the lock. My teenage kid, <laughs> she changed the locks to her door. I would go full Zack Snyder. Like this is Virginia. I'd kick that door open. <laughs> That's what's happening now. Uh, the word underwhelming, I think, doesn't even begin to describe this movie. And I, I only say that because after I was done watching it. I started thinking about all the things that we're talking about. Like, oh, it could have been better if this, 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 this had been done. And everyone's just kind of on uh, autopilot, I guess. Aside from Laurie Metcalf and Melanie Griffith. I make no apologies for my selection, though, because I have to admit, you know, if I'm on a desert island type situation and you say, here are some genres you can take with you, like late 80s, early 90s thrillers. Like that's one of them. That's one of like, like one of three genres I'm taking. I'm in fact I'm saying keep your Criterion Collection. I need something that's going to entertain me and that I can interact with. And unfortunately for this film, the way you're interacting with it is I guess yelling at the screen, being like you fucking idiot. Yeah, everyone is Laurie Metcalf in the audience. Everyone is so disappointed <laughs> in our lead characters, which is not necessarily a bad position to be in because it's a position of authority and you know superior talent and clout with Laurie Metcalf on the screen, but. Uh, I did see just briefly, I was looking at the Wikipedia page because I'm like, how was this received? Because it seemed like it, I think it made 50, let's see, uh, made $55 million worldwide, which is, is not great because I, I was thinking that was domestic, but it only made $29 million domestically. Uh, but Roger Ebert, his quote, I didn't read his full review, was uh, called it a uh, horror film for yuppies. And uh, that's probably something that's gone away, right? Because I, I would say Fatal Attraction is probably the king of that. Like, the business guy that's got everything, he's got money, he's got power, and then we're going to see him taken down. Uh, the last great one, would you say, is – well, no, you wouldn't because you hate it because you're a fool. The game, David Fincher, I would say. <laughs> so my point is if you don't have Michael Douglas in your yuppie horror genre, it's a failure. It's a fucking catastrophe. <laughs> Get Douglas in here. <laughs> Douglas would have been great in the Matthew Modine role. He would have because – 
I like seeing him uh, upset. I like seeing him in a state of distress because he has that perfect hair and he's like matinee idol looks. But he does a great freak out. He did a great freak out in Basic Instinct, Disclosure. Oh my God, there's there's a trilogy right there. I don't know why we did Michael Sarah when we could have been doing Michael Douglas is annoyed <laughs> and befuddled and sweaty. That's a great trilogy. And if if he was in this film, we would have definitely had more sex scenes. At the very least, more naked <laughs> Michael Douglas. Even just banging on the door. I could see him doing that fully nude. Like, <laughs> you interrupted me fucking Melanie Griffith. I'm enraged right now. <laughs> Sell the film yeah. as you're going to get to see Michael Douglas banging in this film. And that's the scene that pops up. So I can't see what he and his little buddy are destroying. Believe. He hasn't paid the rent or even a security deposit. Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine are a young couple who buy an apartment building, and Michael Keaton is their tenant from hell in Pacific Heights. And I'm Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun Times. And I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. Pacific Heights is our first movie, and what a letdown this was with the likes of Matthew Modine and Michael Keaton and Melanie Griffith, three fine young actors. I was expecting some kind of first class effort. Instead, Pacific Heights is a cheap thriller with just high price actors. Keaton plays a professional house wrecker, a guy who rents an apartment, trashes it intentionally, creating havoc in the building, forcing the owner to sell it, possibly to him, at a loss. Things get weird as soon as he moves into an apartment within the San Francisco Victorian house owned by Matthew Modine and his girlfriend, Melanie Griffith. How did you get in here? Well, the door was open a little and I, uh, I just opened it and came on in. I didn't want to ring the buzzer and bother you so early, so I just let myself in. Once he's in, he starts creating trouble, letting cockroaches roam freely, letting a weird friend dismantle the joint, and this upsets an Asian couple also renting there. When Matthew Modine complains to the police, in the movie's one good scene right here, the cop sides with the tenant rights of Michael Keaton. Because according to California Civil Code, Mr. Hayes can sue you for this stunt you just pulled. And most likely he'll win. He doesn't even have a right to be in the apartment. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? If he's in, he's got rights. The movie gets a little tasteless when we're led to believe that Melanie Griffith suffers a miscarriage because of the tension within her home. Michael Keaton pays a surprise visit to the couple when he has heard of the news. I wanted to offer my condolences and there's anything at all I can do.
You know, and I mentioned that the script is tasteless because it has her have a uh, miscarriage because of this supposed mental tension. I think that's really insulting to women. I mean, you know, that they're such fragile creatures that they can't handle a tough situation like this. So, you know, immediately uh, miscarriage. And while I was watching this picture, I got angry for other reasons. I was waiting constantly for something significant to happen, for it to be something more than just a routine thriller about a bad tenant. But there is nothing more, nothing more to Pacific Heights. And I was astounded. Mm -hmm. Well, I was really disappointed by the picture, too. I mean, I expected at some point it would develop into maybe something like Rosemary's Baby, where another couple in the same building is doing something sinister behind closed doors and you don't know what it is. It turns out to be completely predictable. And in a movie like this, where they go to the links of putting in the old scene where she goes down in the basement to hear a noise, but it turns out to be the cat. Right. I mean, how often has it turned out to be the cat? It always turns out to be the cat. It seemed to me as if they could have done something more than just plug in old parts in a routine structure here. There are other pictures that are like this, uh, Fatal Attraction, Sea of Love, where there's tension, and, but, but they stand for something else. They stand for relationships between men and women in some way in the modern age. Nothing more than just tenant Basically, rights. Basically what this is, the first horror movie for yuppies, and they take the axe to your house instead of to your head.